0: So let's continue looking at the book of Revelation. Have you all enjoyed this so far? Well, it's going to get better. It is. We are going to just now take a journey into some of the most wild and bizarre stuff you have ever seen. And yet, if you look at it, uh, the way I'm going to explain it, I think it's going to be immensely helpful to you. And as we've been doing, I'm going to ask that you not read along, look at the passage together when we start talking about it, but just for a moment, listen, just listen. If you have to close your eyes or whatever, uh, do that, and try to imagine uh, what you're seeing, because that's the way the early church would have experienced this letter. People were mostly illiterate. They would have just heard it read by what is called a lector. In the ancient world, there were few people that could read, and a lector would come up to the lectern and would read the passage and people just had to get it that way they couldn't go home like we do and open their Bible and read it again and again so just listen and I'm going to read it to you as it's happening we're going to skip all of chapter 7 and I'm going to pick it up in chapter 8 with the breaking of the seventh seal and then we'll talk about it uh, after that so now hear God's word Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, "'Come,' and i looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine and when he opened the fourth seal i heard the voice of the fourth living creature say come and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider, his name was Death, and Hades followed with him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw. Under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it is shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and the rocks "Fallen us and hide us. From the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? And when the Lamb had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? This vision that John has, it's stunning of these angels and these creatures, and these four apocalyptic horsemen, what are called the horsemen of the apocalypse, are summoned by the creatures to come forth, and you can see them coming out of the cosmos and moving into the creation, into the world with all of their judgment. All of the horror and devastation that they bring. And Dr. Uh, Dennis Johnson in his commentary says this. This is fascinating. He says the experience of Jesus' disciples in Matthew 24. The experience of Jesus' disciples in Matthew 24 and Matthew, uh, Mark 13 and Luke 21 and Acts chapter 1. These places where the disciples asked Jesus when. When are these things going to happen? When will the end come? Listen to what Dr. Johnson says. It shows that when we get to the Bible's teaching about things to come, future events, it is easier to ask the wrong question than the right one. Listen. We want to ask when. Jesus is more interested in answering why and what for. Why, if the lamb, the lion, has conquered, why does the world continue to be a place, and this, every one of you asks this question, we all do all the time, Why, if the Lion Lamb has conquered, does the world continue to be a place of evil, violence, and misery? Why? What's it for? What is going on in the world? If Jesus rose from the grave, if He has conquered, what is going on? Why? This was the question that the church the seven churches in Asia were asking because they were under intense oppression and persecution, both violently and by seduction. And it's the question we in the 21st century must ask today. It's as relevant today as it was then. Another commentator, Dr. Greg Beale, said, The primary intention of numbering in the book of Revelation, is to represent the order of John's visions, not necessarily, this is important, not necessarily the order of the historical events. And so I'm saying all that because if you get caught up in a simple timeline, in a chronology... And these seven things happen. Seven seals. And next we're going to see seven trumpets. And then we're going to see these visions of a a beast and a a pregnant woman. And then we're going to see visions of seven bowls of wrath that come and get poured out. And then we're going to see another uh, vision of a beast rising from the sea. And another beast coming out of the land. The tendency for us... Is to want to put these things on a timeline, on a chart, that runs across, and we can see, okay, this is going to happen then, and this is going to happen then, and oh, somebody said there's going to be a blood moon, so I guess this is happening here, and then somebody said there's an earthquake over there, I guess this is happening, and oh, we've got hurricanes that are getting worse and worse every year, so they tell us, so now it must be this and that. We're trying to find our place in that timeline. When the reality, John's vision is not like that at all. He's seeing visions. And these visions often blend into one another and sometimes, I'm going to show you, very often these things are running parallel. They're actually all happening at the same time. And that time, just to help you out, so that you get an idea of when the time is, it's when Jesus opens the seals. Now when was that? Well, that was when he ascended into the throne room. Now we don't know the date. Nobody was there to write it in their day timer or enter it into their iPhone. Oh, here he is, it's today. Well we have a pretty good idea because on the mountain there outside of Jerusalem, the disciples said, Are you gonna do that bring the kingdom now? And he said, It's not for you to know when but you will see me coming back. For now I'm going up to my throne, to my father, and I'm going to take the scepter of righteousness and sit at his right hand, and I'm going to rule my kingdom. And so we can assume, and I don't want to speculate, but I think we're pretty safe in saying that when he rose up in that cloud, that when he stepped off the cloud, whatever that was, (laughs) he stepped off the cloud and he started walking into the throne room was about the time that The angel was saying, who is worthy? And in walks the great king. Can you see it? In he comes. And you can almost hear the organ crashing uh, in Céson's organ symphony. If you don't know it, go look at it on YouTube today. We listened to it this morning. You can almost hear the organ crashing and the music ascending as he walks into the room and takes the scroll from the hand of Him who's on the throne and starts breaking the seals. You can hear the angels circling around the seraphim crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. You can can hear the the, the voices of the people under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? You can hear this cacophony of worship and praise. It is stunning and beautiful and terrifying. So what do you see? Let me go through these quickly. And I hope this is what you see. This is what they would have seen. This is what we would have seen. A rider come! You would have heard this thunderous voice and a rider come issuing out. We don't know from where, but out he comes and he's on a white horse. And he's a rider, and the rider has a bow, and he has a crown that has been given to him. And he's going out to conquer and to conquer, conquering and to conquer. And some commentators have said, well, this is Jesus. He's coming. No, it's not Jesus. This is not a picture of Jesus. He wasn't wearing a Stephanos. He was wearing a crown, a diadem. And this one is only wearing a wreath like, like the Caesars would have worn. This would have been John poking uh, at the Roman Empire and saying, now nah, our king is bigger than your king. Our king is greater. So you see, issuing forth God's judgment of conflict and conquest next come you see a red horse taking peace from the earth and people killing one another with the sword it was given he was given a great sword so you see slaughter and warfare now remember we're not on a timeline these judgments are simply being issued from the throne of God at the time of Jesus ascension And they are in the earth now, today, and have been since that day, and will be until the second coming. Are you all tracking with me? They're going to be there. The white horse. The red horse. Then the third one, the black rider. The black horse. Has a pair of scales and a quart of wheat. Costs a denarius. And three quarts of barley a denarius. But don't touch the oil and the wine. Famine and economic upheaval are following this third rider. So you've got conflict and conquest, slaughter and war, famine and economic upheaval. You see, it took a day's wages in order to buy one day's worth of bread. That's what this formula is that John is giving. He's saying that all day you work, And all you can buy is just a loaf of bread. You don't have money for anything else. In other words, this is terrible famine. Terrible upheaval of the economic system. And the fourth writer comes... And he's pale. The word in Greek is actually green. It's the green pallor of death. And if you've ever seen a dead body or you've seen someone very sick in the hospital and you see that pallor that's on their face, that's the color he uses. It's the color of death you know. And death and hell follow with him the grave. And he was given authority to destroy a quarter, 25% of the earth, and kill with the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Several commentators had this to say. Listen, this, this is great. The expansionist aspirations of rulers always precipitate military conflict and scarcity of resources. Food, medicine, malnutrition, starvation, epidemic, and death. This is nothing less than a portrait of human avarice for power galloping greedily through its present domain towards regions yet to be conquered. Another said conquest, bloodshed, famine, death have always stalked the human race throughout the church age and may be expected to intensify in the final crisis leading to the second coming. What these commentators are saying is, as you see these horsemen that are issuing out in judgment upon the earth, is that everywhere you look, at some time in history, somewhere on the globe, someplace, there is some leader somewhere thinking, I need to go over there and take my fellow persons, uh, this guy over here, I need to take his field. Or I need to steal this much territory, like Hitler. First he wanted uh, the Rhine, and then he wanted the Sudetenland, then he wanted this, then he wanted that, and finally he gets Czechoslovakia, that wasn't enough. He wants Poland, he gets Poland, that's not enough. He wants France, that's not enough. I want England. And every world leader has done this. And following that conflict, following that issuing forth of conflict anywhere you find in the world... All these other things follow. And it would have made complete sense to the people listening because they were surrounded by enemies. The Roman Empire, those of you that know your history, was being assailed on every side and it was only a few hundred years later before they were completely destroyed themselves. Every generation has tried to take these four horsemen and the trumpets that followed, and the bowls that will follow, and the different things that happen, and try to put them in a timeline somewhere so we can say, well, when is this happening? Well, let me tell you when it's happening. It's happening right now. It's just not happening to us. In Rick's beautiful prayer, he prayed for the persecuted church. Do you know that there is a persecuted church? Do you know that there are thousands, literally hundreds of thousands that fled from 2015 until now, from just Syria and northern Iraq, have fled into Europe with nothing. Many of them Christians, by the way, they're not all Muslim terrorists, they're not all jihadis. And they've lost everything. And it's very hard for us to get our head around it. How do we even think? It's so abstract. But it's happened. My own family in home Syria, if you've read the news, a car, two distant relatives of my dad, I don't know, cousins. Somebody's a cousin. Everybody's a cousin, right? They're in a car. And they pull up to a checkpoint. ISIS is holding the checkpoint. They drag them out, look at their passports, find out they're Christians, and guess what happened to them? Bang, bang, you're dead. Just because you're a Christian. It's happening somewhere in the world. These four horsemen are loose today. And just because it's not happening here doesn't mean it's not happening but the next thing we see get this these are six seals that are being broken and these are events that are happening the next event that ushers forth from the throne of god is this beautiful picture of the fifth seal look at it it's in verse it's there in your bible in the first 8 verses under the altar this is verse 9 under the altar, the souls of those slain for the word of God and their witnesses cry with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will avenge our blood? And the answer is, each one of them is given a white robe and told to rest a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants is complete. In other words, he's telling the church, wherever they are being slain, at whatever time in history, be patient, be patient. Don't despair. You are protected under my altar. Nothing can happen to you, even if they kill you, even if they take your home, even if they strip you of all your money, even if they took your children away from you. I've got you. I have you. These are the Christian martyrs in heaven. These are the people who represent us today. And while we're not being martyred, we are included in that group. And no matter what is assailing you, no matter what is coming into your life, listen, God has your soul. And nothing can take that. He will keep you under His altar The next thing you see is the truth of the human condition. You see hard hearts. Look at verses 12-17. through 17. This is astounding. It should have shocked you when, you when you read it. I know it may not have, but this is what we should have seen. We should have seen an earthquake. We should have seen a cosmic upheaval that is like nothing that the world has ever witnessed before. You would have seen the earthquake. You would have seen the sun turn black like Grave clothes, sackcloth. You would have seen the moon turn to blood. This is not somebody's imagination of a blood moon. It's not an astrological, astronomical phenomenon. This is literally happening. The cosmos is collapsing. We've never seen it. And it's not going to happen and then pass the next day. The whole cosmos is going to collapse. The sky is going to roll back like a scroll, whatever that means. Every mountain, every island, everything, the whole creation is going to be shaken loose and come apart. And during this upheaval, you would think, what would you think? You would think that people would fall down and say, God have mercy on me. But we're shocked to hear That seven groups of people. Here's the number seven again. Don't you love that? Perfect hardness is what he's saying. Perfectly hard hearts. Completely hard. The kings, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, the slave, the free. They hide in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they say to the... They're not talking to God and saying, Have mercy on me. They're calling on the creation... Crush me down, hide me from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from his wrath. Why? Who can stand? This is the question that is shouted out in the cosmos. Who can stand in this great judgment with the whole universe collapsing? Who can stand? And then this dramatic moment. See, we jumped over chapter 7. We'll look at that next week. That's why it's not chronological. We'll jump over chapter 7 and the next thing that happens is silence. No more holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Nothing, no, no, no singing, no praise, no nothing. Just Dead. Silence. And what's happening here is you're getting a picture of what readers and, and understanders of the Old Testament would have picked up immediately that the entire creation has collapsed, not figuratively, literally. And as it is collapsing, And the pieces are coming apart. And fire is raining down on this creation. It's not just something that's going to pass, earthquake and then tomorrow, you know, everything's going to be fine. No, the whole cosmos is coming apart. And what you've just witnessed is the end. And we're only in chapter 6. You've seen the end of all creation. You've seen the judgment. And you've seen silence deafening. Silence. Why? Why are we seeing it? Okay, you've seen it. And you're going to see it again and again and again. You're going to see the same thing. You're going to see the same cycle of judgment repeated, get this, seven times. And seven times you're going to see the collapse of all creation and the coming of the great King. And it's going to ramp and intensify and intensify until we get to chapter 19, 20, and 21. And then it all explodes into this Indescribable vision, an angel turns to John and he said, Come, let me show you the bride. You've seen all this. Now come see the bride. So stay tuned. That's coming. Why are we seeing it? Well, I'm going to, a lot of reasons. I'm just going to give you two. We don't have much time. First of all, it explains the why that Dr. Johnson was asking in his commentary and talking about. Why is the world still in conflict? The war has been won, right? We all know that as Christians. The seven churches in Asia would have known that. They understood the resurrection as well as we do. But they were still under pressure. And every one of us, you and me, we all live in that same pressure. What we call the already, not yet. We're living in it. We don't, you know, I've got doctor appointments right now lined up. Some of you have doctor appointments lined up. Some of you have problems in your marriage. Some of you may have problems in your work. Who knows what's going on in our lives? Everyone has something pressing in. My family, just this week, another of our family died. My dad's younger brother. And so now our family, we've, we, we've, we've turned and we're all looking, all looking, all looking at, an, at a grave, at a hole in the ground. My dad and my mom had to go and pick the hole, didn't you? Go pick the hole. I don't know what's facing you. I don't know. But God knows and He's telling you, the war has been won, but you're living in tension and you want to ask why, why, why? The only answer that I can give you, the only answer that will even begin to make sense of why we're still here is this, listen, I think this is part of the answer. Maybe not the whole answer, but certainly part of the answer. Why the battle has been won, but we're still here. Listen, I've been given, this is Jesus talking, He's talking to those disciples who wrote this stuff later on, and He says this, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, Therefore, or because of this, go and make what? You all know what's coming. Go make what? Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. Listen, I don't know know where you are in your life right now, but I hope, that you leave here today remembering this. And be sure of this, be sure of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Why are we still here? Well, one one writer put it this way You, you know, you remember D Day? You all remember there was a World War II? Some of the young ones don't know what's World War II. World War II, they invaded the beaches of France and they had a horrific battle, but they managed to prevail and establish a beachhead. And on that day, World War II basically was what? They won. I mean, every historian will tell you that once the beachhead was established in France, there was no pushing. The Battle of the Bulge was simply that. It was just a little bulge. Now, they just had to go and make it to Berlin and kill off the enemy. And that happened some months later. In April, 1st of May of 1945, Hitler was defeated and the newspaper said, not D-Day, but what? V-E-Day, Victory in Europe Day. And so commentators have said the already not yet, and I've I've said this for fifteen years while I've been here, folks, and I say it because of this. If you don't get that, if you don't get the already not yet, and put that down into your soul, if you don't get the scheme of all of Scripture, like we talked about in class this morning, if you're not up there at forty thousand feet looking down and seeing the big picture, you will lose heart. You'll lose heart. When the doctor comes back and says, not good. Or when the phone call comes and said they're dead. Or when you you have a child who goes off the rails. Or when you have a a bank account that is empty and there's no more money coming in. Or when you have someone kick your door in and come in and take your wife and children away, shoot you, and then paint an N, a Nun, on the door because you're a Nazarene. which happened only a couple of years ago. Only that will help you. Only knowing that we live in that time and He, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what for? What for? Why? Well, because there are people out there that this world is dark. Those four horsemen are out there. We are to be battling and fighting back against the darkness. The gospel message, folks, is both what, one, what John Smead said, is both good news and bad news. Good news, Jesus won. Bad news, judgment Is real. now you can go to a lot of churches here in El Paso and and we encourage you to go to church on Sunday hope hopefully you come here if you don't want to come here go somewhere but hopefully every time you go to church every single Sunday without exception you should hear both good news and bad news if you only hear good news you're not hearing the gospel what are you hearing you're getting a pep talk. You're getting a motivational speech. If all you hear is good news, that's all you're getting. But if you go to a gospel church, somebody is going to tell you there's bad news. Somebody is going to stand up and say, this world is under judgment and God Almighty has every right to judge this world. Because the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed above all animals. You see, our ancestors and everybody since has been listening to the lie of Satan and to and, and have committed what theologians call cosmic treason against God. We have no excuse. The whole world is laying bare. You see, look, we're in church right now and everybody's got their Sunday best on or close to it. But there's no one, if we started to peel back the layers of your life and look deeper and deeper inside, what would we see? I know what I see and I know what you would see. And so when God peeled back the layers, He said this, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and your offspring and hers. He will come and strike your head. You will strike his heel. In other words, the the one who comes, this great one who comes, will crush your head. He will kill you and destroy you. But you will hurt him, his humanity. So what are we here for? We're here because the church, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. Not dominating, not helping, but serving and loving, telling people of every calling what it means to live for Christ and to exist for others. Folks, what would happen if God suddenly raptured the church? What would happen To everyone, what if, put it this way, what if God had raptured the church um, just a few minutes before somebody told you about Jesus? What would have happened to you? You exist. Archbishop William Temple said the church exists, it's the only organization that exists for its non-members. The only club that exists for its non-members. There are horsemen loose. There are monsters. There are dragons with seven heads and ten horns. There's a prostitute that you're going to see riding on the back of a dragon. And she's got a cup. And in her cup you would think there would be wine, but it's not. It's blood. The wrath of the, 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 the... She's drinking this cup that is the blood of the saints and she's drunk on that blood. And God is saying, I am with you. I will not leave you. Go push back the darkness. When we live... Let me, let me just say this and we'll close. When we live as Christ commanded, when we're really being the church, when we're being the people of God, living by faith, living in hope, loving, loving one another, and the people out there that are not like us. When we do that, when we persevere in hardship, when we are pushing back the darkness, like Rick, one of your ruling elders always says, we're pushing back the thorns, right? He always says that to us in our meetings. I'm going to push back the thorns. You're doing battle with those forces, with those horses of the apocalypse, with the dragon, with the beast, with the seven heads and ten horns, with the prostitute. We are here to fight. And who do you see? Do you remember that scene in Revelation that we read just a moment ago where the people are crying for the hills and the rocks to fall, the caves to collapse on them. Somebody else said that. Someone else quoted that because that's from the Old Testament. It was the promise of judgment. It's in Psalms. It's in Zechariah. It's in Zephaniah. Those exact words. You can look it up if you have a concordance in your Bible. It was the promise of God to utterly destroy His enemies and crush His enemies who had sinned against Him. And before John ever heard those words up in heaven, someone spoke them on earth. Listen. They led Jesus away and a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women, Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children, for the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are those women who are childless, wombs that did not ever bear a child, the breasts that never have nursed. People will beg the mountains. Fallen, us, plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things were done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Ask yourself, who spoke those words as He was being dragged, beaten and bloody through the streets on the Via Dolorosa, being dragged to His cross, He spoke these words. Why did He speak those words? Because on Him the mountains fell. On Him the earthquake fell. On Him the wrath of God fell. And He said, if that happens when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And for us to escape God's judgment, the only refuge is in that sixth seal and that question who can stand well if you've been here week by week who stood who stands who walks up to the throne and takes from the one seating on that throne that scroll and if you've been listening what's in that scroll judgment and he takes it He's the one that's worthy. He opens the scroll. And judgment comes, and rightly so. But everyone who trusts Him, where are they found? Where? Under the altar. Protected. Will you trust Him? That's all He's asking. You know, this world is a terrible place. Will you trust Him? Find your refuge under the altar. I pray you will. Father, we all know that someday, as hard as it is to imagine, and terrifying, I guess, I don't know, it is to me that we will someday appear before you at the judgment seat, and we will have to give an answer for every thought, word, and deed that we have done both good and bad. And we will be placed in that scale of judgment and weighed in the balance. Will we be found wanting? And the answer is, who will stand? None of us. If we go into the judgment alone, we will be lost. Our only hope is that someone will stand in the dark with us, someone whose weight and glory is so great, someone whose deeds are so unassailable that they will tip the scale. And that one is Jesus, our Lord. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. Amen.